0: This morning, we're going to be looking at uh, the series that we, we started a few weeks ago, where we've been looking at 1 Corinthians 2, and we've been talking about the mind of Christ and what it looks like to have the mind of Christ. And today, specifically, we're going to be talking about the fact that insight holds greater value than authority. Now, I just want you to think about that statement for a second, because the scripture we're about to look at illustrates that. Insight holds greater value than authority. So, in light of the fact that we're speaking about the mind of Christ and what it means to operate and perceive things with the mind of Christ, just keep that in mind. Insight holds greater value than authority. We're in 1 Corinthians 2. I'm going to start reading for us at verse 6, and we're going to go down to verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 2. Today we'll be highlighting verses 8 and 9 of 1 Corinthians 2, but follow along with me if you're using the Bibles in front of you. It'll be on page 953. 1 Corinthians 2, starting with verse 6, this is what it states. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at this portion of your word together today. Lord, we're grateful for the fact that when we assemble together, as we have the privilege to fellowship with one another and make investments in one another's lives, we also have the privilege to sit under the counsel of your word. And so we're grateful that, that we're carving out time right now to do that. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to understand more about the work that you're doing in our lives when we look at portions of scripture like this. It's very clear in this portion of your word that you're doing a spiritual work within us that enables us to see things that we would not naturally see. So Lord, we're grateful for the fact that you're doing that. We're grateful for the fact that we have some time to be able to just carve out time to focus on you and your work. And we pray that you'd speak to our hearts and our minds now through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the, the greatest blessings that you and I possess as followers of Jesus Christ is His wisdom and His mind. We have his wisdom, we have his mind. We've been talking about that over the past few weeks. Through Jesus, we have a new perspective, we have new eyes, we have a new outlook. These are things that the Lord's given to us that we would not naturally possess. These are things that were are we're, um, well, as the Lord gives us these things, there are things that we are being divinely equipped to understand that an unbelieving world cannot comprehend. So there are things that your mind can perceive that an unbelieving world is not yet able to understand. There are, o- there are things that we can only perceive if the Lord opens up our eyes, if the Lord opens up our mind to be able to perceive them. Now, when you look at what this world pursues, and I think that there's some great examples of this taking place right now at present, but when you look at the things that this world prioritizes and pursues, it's very clear that power and authority are very high on that list. You've noticed that, right? In your reading of history, even in your observation of current events, even in your observation of things taking place in our nation right now, power and authority are very clearly the, the, at the high point of what this world prizes, of what this world values. But which would you rather? And I want you to think about this today as, as we're looking at the scripture because it shows us a difference. Which would you rather? authority or insight? Just think about an answer to that question right now. Which would you rather, authority or insight? Or another way we could put it, would you rather power or would you rather understanding? Think about that as we look at the scripture together today. And I'll I'll say this and I'll kind of, you know, reveal where I'm going with this right away. But insight holds greater long-term value than authority. Scripture tells us that ultimately every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So what sense does it really make to try and spend all the days of our lives basically trying to usurp his authority or trying to build our own kingdom when eventually everyone, including us, is going to bow the knee and confess with our tongue, acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord, meaning we're not Lord he's Lord. So I'd rather join what Christ is building than try to build something on my own. I'd rather gain insight into the deep and the everlasting truths of God than spend my life immersed in the philosophies of man. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and again, today we're just really going to be focusing on verses 8 and 9 of that passage. So in 1 Corinthians 2 verses 8 and 9, Paul shows us very clearly, very vividly, why insight holds greater value than authority. And we'll take a look at some of these reasons here. But one of the things that I think we're shown here in this portion of Scripture is this. First of all, possessing power doesn't naturally guarantee that you also possess wisdom. Just because you have power it does not guarantee that you also possess wisdom. Let me reread verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 2. It says this, none of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Do you ever have the opportunity to serve on a board of any kind, whether it be in a business or a ministry or an organization or something along those lines where, you know, you served with a group of people trying to achieve an objective or oversee a program or a ministry or a business or something like that, and you have to come up with group consensus and you have to talk about a bunch of things? Do you ever serve on a board like that? It could be interesting, right? It could be enjoyable, depending on the board. It could sometimes be arduous. Well, a little over 20 years ago, I had the opportunity to serve on a ministry board with a very interesting man. And at first, I wasn't able to fully put my finger down on why I thought this guy was so interesting. And I say interesting basically in quotes, okay? Very interesting man, right? So in some respects, as I would observe him, I appreciated the things that he did. I appreciated the work that he did. I appreciated some of the things that, that he was trying to accomplish. But then in other areas, I felt a check in my spirit whenever I interacted with him. And do you ever kind of just get that sense that something is off when you're interacting with somebody? Well, for a while, I couldn't quite put my finger on what was, what was bothering me. And then I had the opportunity to hear him deliver a speech to a group of leaders. And while he was delivering this speech to a group of leaders, it all became very clear to me what had been bothering me the entire time. And I noticed that every time he referenced the concept of power, he would, he would practically salivate. Every time he mentioned that word, every time he talked about power, he, he just lit up with this idea of obtaining power. He seemed fixated on obtaining it in basically you know, all realms of his life, But the power that he craved, and this is what started to really become clear to me, the power that he craved, it actually struck me as as an unhealthy desire to obtain an unhealthy amount of control over the lives of other people. And when that became clear to me about this man, that really his dream of the perfect life was to have power in the sense that he had an unhealthy level of control over the lives of other people, that made me very uncomfortable. And I noticed that over time I distanced myself from him. And it was interesting because within a few years of him giving that speech, all the authority that he coveted, all the authority that he craved, the people that he was supposed to be accountable to, they took it all away from him. And so I watched how that played out in his life. It didn't have a good effect. And Paul brings up a similar concept here when you look at verse 8. Because when Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, he referenced people during that era who possessed great power. There were people in that era who possessed great power. Paul refers to them here as the rulers of this age. So these are the rulers of this age, and based on the context of the passage, when you look at chapter 1 and when you look at the verses prior to this, and even these verses themselves, I think it's very clear that when he is referencing the rulers of this age, he's referencing obviously the political and governmental leaders, but he's also referencing the religious leaders in that statement, and he makes it clear that even though they had great authority, there was much that these leaders of that day did not understand. They had power... But they didn't have understanding. And again, the fact that they had power didn't guarantee that they also possessed wisdom, because there are times when people obtain power, but they don't possess wisdom to go along with it. In fact, many of the people that were leading during Paul's era had hardened their hearts against the Lord, who is the source of wisdom. So, if you harden your heart against the Lord, and then try to claim that somehow you have wisdom, you've basically set up an impossible scenario. The Lord is the source of true and lasting wisdom. And if you harden your heart against him, you're basically saying, I don't want the Lord's wisdom in my life. I want to try and figure this out on my own. I only want to focus on temporary things and not really let my heart drift into focusing on eternal things. Now, I like studying culture, and I like studying history. Some of you probably already know this, but for those that don't, My initial intention in life was to be a history teacher. I did not intend to be a pastor. Uh, The Lord made it clear to me that that was His calling on my life, to be a pastor, and so I switched course midway through college. But my initial intention was to be a history teacher, and I actually went all the way through and still got that degree. So I got the degree to become the history teacher anyway, because I still wanted to have it. And... um, one of the things that's always remained an interest for me is just reading about what it's like to interact with world leaders. And I came across a book a few years ago uh, written by David Gergen. David Gergen's still living. I don't know if you know who David Gergen is, Uh, but it's a book called Eyewitness to Power. And basically, it's an account that he wrote About the years that he served in an advisory capacity to several different presidents. He worked with several different presidents of different political parties. So he he just ended up being somebody who worked with multiple world leaders during, you know, during the era where he was active doing this. And I still see him from time to time giving commentary on TV and giving commentary on the news. And as I read that book, Eyewitness to Power, I wondered a few things, and he answered some of this in the book, but I wondered what it must have been like to offer counsel to the most powerful men in the world. You know, what would it be like to just be sitting around a table and offer counsel to the most powerful men in the world? Would they listen? I wondered, would they be open to outside instruction? And when you read his words, you could see that some were teachable and some were not quite as teachable. But they're all human. And when a person becomes powerful... It can become very difficult at times for them to to be receptive to receiving wisdom from others. And you don't just see that in our era of history, but I would encourage us to notice it now. It's been true historically. When a person becomes powerful, sometimes they become so full of themselves that it makes it difficult for them to receive wisdom from others. In many respects, I think some of these leaders, they fall into a trap of basically trying to deify themselves. You know, especially when they get to a spot where they, they think, hey, you know, in my context, I feel like the most powerful. And so they treat themselves almost like a deity. And in some cultural contexts, the main leaders are worshipped like deities. And I think it goes to the heads of these people. And they try and deify themselves. And they forget everyone who helped them get where they are. And they frequently begin to think of themselves as the source of all the good things that have ever happened to them along the way in their journey. But not every leader is like that. And I think it's very interesting when you go through the Old Testament, there's a very interesting example of somebody that's always stood out to me, and I've always been fascinated by the account that we're given there of this man. But one of my favorite accounts of leadership in the Bible is the story we're told of Solomon. Now Solomon had his high points and he had his low points during the course of his life, but Solomon was a very young man when he assumed the throne in Israel. It's widely accepted that he was less than 30 years old. There seems to be very broad agreement that he was less than 30, so at least that he was in his 20s. But when you read up on some of the, the understanding that, that certain historians and theologians have, it's very possible that he was younger than 20. One uh, historian thinks that he may have been as young as 19 years old when he became king of Israel. And this week when I was reading up on this, I actually found one particular author who said it's not out of the realm of possibility that he may have been as young as 15 years old. So broad acceptance that he was younger than 30, but highly likely that he could have actually been younger than 20. And he was given the authority to rule as king of Israel. Now, if you were made king of a powerful nation or queen of a powerful nation, what would your first action be? B, what would the first thing you did, or, you know, what would be, I always hear leaders say when they're running for office, the first thing I'm going to do is this, or the first thing I'm going to do is this. And I always think, yeah, the first thing you're going to do is forget you ever said that, right? (laughs) But what would the first thing you did, if you were made king or queen, what would be the first thing you did? Well, scripture tells us that as Solomon began his reign, he prayed to the Lord for wisdom. He asked for wisdom. He could have asked the Lord, and the Lord opened this up to to Solomon. The Lord didn't qualify this. The Lord said to Solomon, Solomon, ask me for whatever you want. Ask me for whatever you want. And He could have asked the Lord for anything, but wisdom to lead well was his request. I don't have a slide for this, but I'll just read it to you from 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9. It says this, Solomon prayed to the Lord. He said, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this? Your great people. And what was Solomon's reputation all throughout the course of his life? We know him as a man of wisdom. Again, he had his highs and his lows, and sometimes I think the earlier season was where the highs were, and the later season... Uh, you know, was where the lows are. And for most of us, it's the other way around, you know. Uh, But it's interesting. His reign got off to a great start because he asked the Lord for wisdom and the Lord said, yes, I'm going to give you that. And I'm going to give you everything else that you could have asked me for because I'm so pleased that you asked me for wisdom. The Lord honored Solomon's prayer. And I believe that he's pleased when we make that same request. You want to make a request of the Lord that I believe that he's more than happy to say yes to ask him for wisdom. Now, the leaders of this world want authority. The leaders of this world, they want power, and some of them aren't afraid to kill in order to obtain it. But followers of Christ are offered a a gift that is of greater effect, greater lasting value than the limited power of this world. We're offered wisdom through Christ that this world's leaders struggle to understand. And that's what Paul was trying to get at as he speaks about these things in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. But there's something else he says in that verse that I think is also useful to understand when we're talking about what it looks like to live with the mind of Christ. And that's this. Your understanding of Christ impacts what you do with Christ. So again, think about that for just a second. Your understanding of Christ was, is going to impact what you do with Christ. Let me read again 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. Same verse we read a moment ago, but I'll read it again. And there again, Paul says, None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Have you ever been offered something that you had no idea what to do with? <laughs> um, Seth, you grew up on the mission field, you know, and so you had the opportunity to live in multiple cultures throughout your life. I have not had that opportunity. You know, I've lived, you ready? This is very broad. I've lived in places as far away as Northeast Pennsylvania, <laughs> Western Pennsylvania, and Southeastern Pennsylvania. So, I mean, vastly different. You know, it's, I, I have a very broad cultural experience. Um, there are subtleties between those three areas, but they're not that big, right? Well, a few years ago, our family was invited over to the home of a friend who grew up in another country. And, uh, she has just a, you know, broad experience of, um, you know, just, just being immersed in a different culture. And she decided that she wanted to serve us a meal with authentic foods from her culture. So I'm not very adventurous when it comes to eating, you know? I mean, I, you know, I put different toppings on my pizza from time to time, but it still ends up being pizza, right? Um, but I thought, all right, this is going to be interesting. And so she served us a whole bunch of things, some of which I was unfamiliar with, some of which I'd never had before. And one of the things that was on the menu were these strips of meat that looked like they had been marinated in something, and we looked at it, and they had a small bone in them, and... and uh, but we thought, okay, uh, we weren't sure how to go about eating them. And so our family's there with knife and fork, cutting these up and eating them and enjoying them, and noticing that she's looking at us like, that's really strange. And then we discovered after we were done, she said, I'm just going to tell you, and maybe I should have told you earlier, in our culture, we just pick those up and eat them like fried chicken. We just eat it like that. We're like, oh, uh, Oh, Okay, we're not that proper, but in that moment, we're, we didn't know what to do with this. You know, she handed this to us. It was delicious. We ate a lot of it, but we didn't know the proper way. We didn't know what to do with what she had put down in front of us. And I was laughing about that at the time, but that happens in a lot of areas of, of our lives. Sometimes you're handed something or given an opportunity or even introduced to somebody and you're like, I, I don't know what to do with this thing or, or how to interact with this person or what to do with this relationship. You just don't know what to do with it. And it's very clear when you look at what took place during the course of Christ's earthly ministry, that this world had no idea what to do with Jesus when he offered himself to them. They had no idea. Like, what do we do with him? So when Jesus was conducting his earthly ministry, people genuinely marveled at who he was. His reputation for wisdom, his reputation for miracles, it grew very large. And there were people in the culture of Israel who heard about him and were fascinated with him. There were people that were part of the Roman culture and some of the Asian areas that that over time, as word started to spread, were fascinated with him and wanted to hear more about what was going on. So his reputation for wisdom, his reputation for miracles, it grew very large. And his willingness to also confront unscrupulous leaders was also becoming very well known. And when you look through the Gospels, you could see that Jesus did not hesitate to confront people who were going in a direction that was unhealthy, unwise, and ungodly. And so he'd confront them, and he addressed these things. And so those in leadership during that era were posed with a dilemma. What do we do with Jesus? You know, do I worship him? Do I ignore him? Or do I attempt to crush him? Those were their options. Do I worship him? Do I ignore him? Or do I attempt to crush him? Now, unfortunately for them, many of them chose to attempt to crush him. And at the behest of the religious leaders and with the cooperation of the governmental leaders, Jesus was crucified and put to death. They killed him because they didn't know what to do with him. They killed him because they were jealous of him. Now, it's easy for me to pick on people who lived in a different era and less easy for me to be introspective about certain things, but I want us all collectively, whether you're here in person, whether you're joining us on the live stream, I'd be curious for us to be a little bit introspective about the same question that, this, the, that the leaders during the era of Christ's earthly ministry were wrestling with. And I'm curious if we know what to do with Jesus in the context that we live and operate in. Do we know what to do with him? Your understanding of who he is is going to directly impact what you choose to do with him. So again, same dilemma. Will you worship him? Will you ignore him? Or will you attempt to crush him? Now, if your eyes have been opened to see his divine nature and to understand that he is indeed God who became man, you'll be inclined to worship him, and you'll be inclined to submit all aspects of your life over to him. But if you think he was nothing more than an interesting man who said wise things from time to time, then I think, for the most part, you'll probably ignore him. But if you're convinced that his message is an offensive problem that needs to be prevented from spreading further, I think you'll do your best to crush him by crushing his followers. So I think that we're in the same dilemma. The same question really needs to be posed to us as it was you know, to this group of, of, of leaders living during that era. What are we doing with Jesus? Will we worship him? Will we ignore him? Or will we attempt to crush him? So again, let me say in the plainest way that I can, there's no more important question than we can ask than this. Who is Jesus? That's the most important question you will ever ask in your entire life. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? There is nothing else that's more important for you to answer than that question. Who is Jesus? Because your answer to that question is going to directly impact your understanding of your purpose in life. And it's also going to directly impact your future destiny. And if you want to grow in wisdom, and if you want to grow in hope, I dare you to attempt to ask and answer that question. I'm daring you. So, what does that do inside of you when someone dares you to do something? Is it possible to provoke people to do something from a pulpit? I'm trying. Ask the question Who is Jesus? Attempt to answer it, see where you land. And this is the type of thing that the apostle Paul, when he was living during this era and he was speaking to the Corinthians or when he was interacting with leaders or when he was observing what other people were doing, this is the question he observed them wrestling with and encouraged people to wrestle with. What do you do with Jesus? Are you gonna worship him? Are you going to ignore him? Are you going to attempt to crush him? And Paul says, none of the rulers of this age understood this. The rulers of that age did not understand that. He said, if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they understood this, they understood who Jesus is and what he came to do, they would not have crucified him. They would have worshiped him. But instead, what'd they do? They tried to crush him, and then they tried to crush those who worshiped him. One other thing that I think is important for us to notice as we look at this brief section, and that's this. And this is the last part of this that we'll look at today. It's hard to imagine and it's hard to quantify the wonderful things that God has in store for his children. That's what Paul was saying when you look at verse 9. Let me read it for us here. And again, this is all in this idea of, of, of the Lord opening our minds to see things we would not naturally see, but it's hard to imagine, it's hard to quantify the wonderful things God has in store for his children. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, let me pause there for just a second. Uh, I mentioned before about um, spending time in college working toward a history degree. Many of you know that about 10 years ago, I decided to uh, uh, earn one other degree, and that was a master's degree in counseling. And I have to admit that one of the most hard, one of the hardest, but one of the most beneficial things that I've done in my adult life was obtaining that degree. Uh, It's been a decade since I obtained it, but it's actually been very helpful to me in my role as your pastor, and in a variety of roles, and even in introspective ways. And I remember, while going through that degree, I realized I have chosen a very difficult season of life to try to attempt something like this. It's one thing, and I used, it used to drive me crazy. Can I, can I just confess this? Let me look around at the demographic of who's in the... Well, what, what point does it... I don't know who's on the live stream, you know? All right. So this used to drive me nuts. when well, we would have an assignment due, and I'd hear somebody in the, in the degree program complain about that assignment being due. They're like, how are we going to get this done? And I used to think to myself, you only have one task in life to get that thing done. It'd be somebody without a family, without a job, without anything like that, just that task. And at the time, I'm like, all right, I've got a full-time job. I've got a family. My wife and I had four young children at the time. They're a bit older now. It's a decade later. And I remember thinking to myself, like, where am I going to find the time between my ministry to the church the other ministries that we're involved in, and my responsibilities to my family to also take these classes and write these papers. And I remember the last six months of that degree were particularly difficult for me, and I was feeling exhausted. And when you get a counseling degree, this is what they do. They break you down so that they could build you back up, but it takes time after you graduate to get built back up. So I was pretty much just a mess emotionally too, right? you know, as they're like picking apart, John, tell us your life story. Tell us your core values. Tell us your core longings and and your core fears. It's like, I don't want to talk about these things anymore. You're causing me pain. I prefer to live in ignorance. Can I live in ignorance a little bit longer? And they're like, no, you can't. If you want to pass and get this degree, (laughs) bear your soul, stongy. Right. And so I remember toward the end, just feeling fried and starting that January. So the program ended in May. In January, I started thinking about all the things that our family was going to do that summer. And I thought, okay, all right, that's coming. That's only, that's like five months away, six months away. And then January, and I would count the days. I was counting the days until I was done. And it's like, all right, I have this assignment left. Get that one done. And then there's the big capstone project you have to finish. It's like 100 pages long. And you're like, all right, I got to get that one done. You're working on on your way through it all throughout the course of the semester. But then I remember getting to the end of that semester, finishing up. And then it was a few weeks later. And the first thing on our family's summer agenda had come. And I remember being in the car and thinking to myself, I've been waiting for six months for this day. And I put on my favorite songs, and I sat in the car, and I took a nap, and then I was alert again because I had a car full. I didn't do the nap part. Uh, But I just remember feeling so happy in that moment, thinking, it's finally here. It's finally here. I just felt like this flood of relief come upon me. It was finally there. Summer, respite, relaxation time with family, the burden lifted. And then you look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. He's giving us a picture of good things in store. And I'm grateful for this passage here because Paul makes reference to the good things that the Lord has in store for all those who trust in Jesus Christ. And in his comments, he makes reference to something that's referenced in the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verse 4. And I'll read Isaiah 64, 4 for us. There it says this, From of old... No one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen, a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. And then the way Paul phrases it here in in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, he says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Do you ever spend some time just thinking about and wondering about what God has in store for those who love Him? I think it's good for your mind and it's good for your heart if you spend some time daydreaming about that. I think it's hard to imagine. I think it's even harder to describe in many respects because, you know, we've been given the mind of Christ, but yet these are things we have to see by faith. But because we've been given the mind of Christ... Can't you already perceive and can't you already just kind of feel it in your bones that, that what the Lord has in store is going to be better than everything you've ever experienced thus far? Don't you just know it in some internal way that you're saying, yeah, I know I've never seen it yet. And I know Paul says that it's, that it's something that no eye has seen, no ear heard, no, you know, the heart of man has not imagined this. But God's got something prepared for those who love him that is just amazing. And because we've been given the mind of Christ, you could already kind of see it in your mind and understand it, even though maybe you can't describe it exactly perfectly. And sometimes when I think about that, I think to myself, I don't know why I allow, why I allow myself to get so attached to the things of this world. Because the things that the Lord has in store for us are going to be so much greater than anything we've ever experienced this side of heaven. So why get so attached to the things of this world? And it's like we drift back and forth and have to be reminded, no, the Lord's got even better things in store. Not long ago, I started going through the contacts on my phone. And I've been building that contact list for quite a while now, um, more than a decade, the one that I presently have on my phone. And as I was going through the contacts on my phone, I came across my mother's cell phone number. And I looked at that for a second. I didn't realize that I still had my mom's cell phone number in my phone. And I thought about that for a moment. I thought, you know, I miss her. And I wish I could still call her. And I even had an impulse the other day, someone that, um, you know, something had happened that I thought, oh, you know what, I better tell mom. I literally had that impulse. And I thought, wait a second. Mom passed away several years ago. You don't get that opportunity right now. And I thought, huh. And so... I'm going through the phone, and I'm scrolling through it, and out of curiosity, I just started scrolling to see how many more of my contacts have passed away since I built that list. And I kept coming across name after name, <clears throat> and I thought, wow, you know, th- this guy, and this lady, and this family member, and this uncle, and oh, there's my, you know, grandparents number. You know, I'm just, I'm looking at all these things. And I was like, wow, I still have all this in here. I th- and and as I'm looking at that, and I thought, all right, you know what, it's not necessarily necessarily a pleasant experience to do it, but I started deleting those numbers one at a time. Just with a pleasant thought of each person, but just updating the contact list and thinking, all right, you know, I'm just going to delete those numbers. It's not like I'm deleting them from my life, but it was just kind of like an interesting moment just going through, delete, delete, working through that. And part of me felt sad when I was doing that. But then the way my mind works, another part of me became intensely curious as I came to each of those names, because I'm curious about what they're seeing and experiencing right now at this very moment. It's weird. The older you get, the scales tip a little bit, and the amount of people you know in heaven starts to grow to be a larger number than some of the people you're close to here on earth. So it's like, wait a second, where, where'd the scale tip? You know, as the the older you get, it's like, wow, I know a big crowd up there now. I know a big crew. and, And you start thinking about that. I'm just wondering, what are they seeing right now? What are they experiencing right now? What are they hearing right now? Well, even though Christ helps me to understand things I cannot see, and even though he helps you do the same, through the mind of Christ, here's what I truly believe. I believe that many of those that the Lord has blessed me to know throughout the course of my life are experiencing sights greater than they ever saw on this earth, and sounds that are more beautiful than their ears ever heard on this earth, and experiences that are more amazingly wonderful than everything they experienced, even on their best day during the course of their earthly life. That's their present-day reality right now. And if we also have the mind of Christ, which we receive through faith in him, right? The moment you trust in Jesus Christ, you're given the mind of Christ. We can also perceive, and this is what Paul's trying to help us do with verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 2, we can perceive that the Lord has good in store for us as well. And I think it's very helpful for our hearts to have that optimistic perspective. To be able to look beyond any given moment and know, yeah, this moment might be hard, or this season culturally might have its awkwardness, but yeah, I can see beyond it because I have the mind of Christ through faith in Him. And even though I can't tell you every last detail about every good thing that God has in store for me uh, once I'm in His presence for all eternity, because I know that He loves me, I know it's going to be good. And I know that some of it right now I wouldn't even be able to wrap my mind around anyway. So I'm just going to trust him that he's got good things in store and some of the people that you and I love are already experiencing it right here, right now. It's, It's their present reality. So let me say this as we wrap up. In this world, and you see this and I see this, in this world there are many people spending their lives chasing after power and chasing after authority. But they're never going to find the peace that their hearts crave, even if they gain the power that they seek. But those who trust in Jesus Christ will be granted His sight. We will see with His eyes, and we will enjoy the blessings of the peace and the hope and the contentment that He supplies even now. We have even greater things to look forward to in the future, as Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 2.9. Let me read one last scripture for us, and this is what we'll finish with today. Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your promise to graciously give us all things in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you that you explain to us and you illustrate for us the fact that the insight and the mind that you've given to us is greater than any earthly authority. Lord, thank you for the hope that you've given us beyond this present moment and the fact that you allow us to see it by faith and that you're pleased when we exercise that faith. Lord, you're good to us, and you bless us in so many ways that we, when we look at these things, we realize, all right, we really don't deserve this. Lord, we're grateful for the fact that you're forcing us to wrestle with what we do with your son, Jesus Christ. Will we worship him? Will we ignore him? Will we attempt to crush him? This is a, the, 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 the dilemma that all of us are wrestling with. Every single one of us is wrestling with this in, in one respect or another. Maybe we've spent our lives up to this point primarily just ignoring your son. Or maybe we've spent a season of our life actually working against the efforts of your son. Or maybe we're at the spot right now where our hearts are opening and our our wisdom is developing as you grant us your wisdom to see that we're actually supposed to be worshiping your son. Father, we know, as you've revealed to us in your word, that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Lord, we have the privilege to do that now, or we can do that later, but if we do that now, we have the privilege to be part of your eternal kingdom forever. And so Father, we pray that by your grace that you would inspire our hearts to do that very thing, that we would worship your Son Jesus Christ, and that we would go throughout the course of our lives marveling at the type of things that the Apostle Paul was able to marvel at. So he just thought about the fact that our eyes and our ears and our lives, just can't, we can't even fully comprehend or perceive the wonderful and good things that you have in store for those who love you. But we know that those things are there, and we know that we'll be in your presence for all eternity, and we can, we can see that part and we can perceive that part because by your grace you've given us the mind of Christ. You've given us the mind of your Son, as we've trusted in him to rescue and redeem us, to cleanse us of our sin, to make us new people. So as new people, we likewise have new minds, and we're grateful that we can utilize these minds to navigate life this side of heaven. Lord, even as we think about these things and think about the good things you have in store for us, we're also grateful for the people that you've brought into our lives through the years, many of which are experiencing these things right now. We daydream about what they're like, and they're seeing these things people that we love, close family members, close friends. Lord, we're just so grateful that they get a taste of that. And we're grateful for the time you've given us right now. We pray that we would make the most of it. But we're also grateful, Lord, that when our day comes and and our final day on this earth happens and we we go through that experience, we go through it with you, knowing that you have even better in store for us. So this is, Lord, this is just wonderful to think about. This is wonderful to, to try and wrap our minds around. And we're grateful to be able to spend time right at the start of our week thinking about these things today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your presence with us now. Your insight is greater than any earthly authority. And thank you for opening up our eyes to be able to see the truth, the truth of your gospel. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. When you get the chance, I'd like to invite you to stop by my website, which is desirejesus.com. And when you're there, be sure to sign up for our email list and take advantage of the free books and free resources that we have there to help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you feel led to help support this podcast and our other online ministry efforts, please click the link in this episode's description to give a gift. And don't forget to leave the podcast a rating or review via your favorite podcast player. I hope you have a great week, and I'm looking forward to getting together again right here next Monday. Take care.